Welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast. For more information about us, you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com. We will tell you the web address again at the show's end. We encourage you to open your Bible and follow along as we study the Bible. Now here is your host, Joseph. Well, thank you very much for that introduction. I am glad that you've taken time out of your day to download this podcast and to listen to us in a worldwide audience. I certainly hope and pray that Christ is blessing all of you, as I always pray for the listeners of this podcast and always, of course, praying for future uh, listeners. Excuse me. So today we're going to do something a little different. It came up in a conversation here and a study, and we were talking about it. So if you want to open your Bible and follow along, I would certainly encourage you to do so. Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be starting around verse 25 here in just a few minutes. If you would like to know more about us, we do have a web page that uh, we're trying to do everything we can to keep it up and, and going. And so uh, I would encourage you to really please go check that out and 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 uh, read more about us. We try to post enough information there to, to at least let people know who we are, what we scripturally stand for, and so on. We uh, ask also that you pray for this ministry, that it will continue to grow and prosper and have the correct uh, support that it truly deserves and needs. And some time ago, I got into this conversation, and people were discussing the book of uh, Talbot, or Tobit, T-O-B-I-T. And if you're not familiar with that, I'm not surprised, uh, especially uh, for those who have never uh, studied or had to read the uh, Apocrypha, which I was required to do for those who... uh, may be surprised about that. I was required to read that when I went through uh, preaching school. So I also had read it as a boy growing up in the Catholic Church. And so we're going to talk about the book. It is kind of an interesting book. It's somewhat astonishing, actually. It is part of the uh, Septuagint Old Testament. And then that means today... Only the Orthodox and Catholic Bibles uh, have this book. Um, Most people don't realize, until about 1929 or so, it was actually included in what we would call a Protestant Bible, King James and so on. Uh, This section called the Apocrypha, or Hidden Things, Uh, I don't know why they thought it would be hidden, but that's kind of what it means. And so it is very uh, a Christian-type book. Uh, Some people are going to get really upset with me and say, well, it's not inspired. Um, Okay, that's fine. It is history. I think all the Apocrypha is really good Jewish history. And nothing else, uh, if you're going to read it, read it from the historical uh, aspect. Uh, Some people will argue, and I cannot disagree, because I would probably agree a lot, if not all, the uh, Bible is a historical book. It is written of historical facts. And so, 
the question on about inspiration, did the Holy Spirit inspire it to be written? Did the Holy Spirit uh, desire it to be in the canon uh, or the Bible, if you would prefer? Uh, and, and those are long, hard discussions that people can have. And so I, I know like the Maccabees books, uh, great Jewish history. Uh, and I think it really would help uh, everybody, honestly, if they just read it for the historical point of view, uh, to understand the, some of the groundwork that came, comes in, into the gospel accounts of Christ's ministry. So, again, I, I'm just going to summarize this book, basically. Uh, in a nutshell, it's, it's about a man named uh, Tobit and his sons, uh, Tobus. Tobit is a righteous man who, who's apart from his uh, other works, he labors to take care of the poor and the needy. He even leaves his dinner hot on a table to go and bury the dead whom nobody cares about. Uh, somebody had passed away and the guy just not going to get buried. So this man would leave his supper table to go do that. Uh, and, and I would say that's a form of righteousness. Uh, the, uh, the cleansing that he would have to go through for touching a dead body apparently didn't bother him. But one day, interesting, uh, he really, he goes blind. And, and how does he go blind? Well, I'm going to let you read it for yourself if you're really interested. I don't want to, you know, spoil everything here. I'm really trying to just kind of give you a taste of this book to maybe get you to go read it and make your own decision. I think that's so important, and that's why I always encourage you to open a Bible. Now, Tobit, old and blind, he wants to find a good wife for his son before he dies. Sent by God, uh, the angel Raphael appears Posing as a distant relative, agrees to take Tobus uh, to find a wife. He takes him to a woman who has been married seven times. But on the wedding night of each marriage, a powerful demon appears and, and kills the groom, leaving the new bride virgin a maid. No one's going to marry her now, and it's hard uh, to... Uh, it's not hard really to understand why. I mean, she's kind of a, a widow-maker type thing. And Tobus forces this demon to flee and, and takes her back home. Uh, Raphael, this angel, dramatically reveals himself as an angelic visitor, and they live happily ever after. Okay, so that's really, really kind of boil-down-the-bones type version. It's really an interesting read. It's kind of fun. So, But don't take my word for it. I, I would want you to go read it for yourself. But what does this have to do with redemption and salvation from a Christian perspective? Why was this, these books uh, in the canon at one time and was considered inspired? Let's go there just a little bit. They, uh, 
the, the early Christian fathers, I guess, they, they hold this book, this particular one, really, in high esteem. And they certainly considered it important enough to be in the Bible for some time. Why is it even in the Bible at all, some people might ask. Well, let's try to look at the situation. A loving father sends his son, accompanied by a Holy Spirit, to rescue a helpless bride, held captive by an evil spirit who fills her life with hopelessness and death. Starting to sound familiar? The son defeats the evil spirit, saves the bride, takes back uh, her back to live with him in her in his father's house. So, uh, is this a story of the incarnation? Uh, is it a story of Christ, a one that every one of us who attend Sunday school at one time or another knows the depths of God's heart? There is more than that, though. This story is actually referenced, I believe, in the New Testament. And some people listening, I know they're going to say, ah, that's foolishness, that's nonsense, yeah, you're full of beans. Um, but remember, the Sadducees, okay, they, they do not believe in the resurrection. And so they would come to Jesus posing him with this um, idea of, about the resurrection and this story. And, and they're hoping to, to trick him. They, they want to humiliate him. You know, let's make Jesus look stupid type questions. And they're trying to catch him. And not necessarily in this one particular subject, but they do it multiple times over and over again. So turn with me here to Matthew chapter 22. Hopefully you're already there. Matthew 22. And uh, we're going to start in verse 25. This is from the New American Standard. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married, and he died. Having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. Verse 29, Jesus goes on to talk about how they're mistaking. Um, they don't understand the power of the scriptures. They do not understand the power of God. Verse 29. So I went a little further than I thought so. But in other words, they really didn't get it. They, they missed the point, as Jesus so always so cleverly uh, points out to them throughout the gospel accounts. They just wanted to make the belief of the resurrection look foolish. Uh, they wanted to make it look unreasonable. Uh, little did they know who they really were talking to, and that is the resurrection himself, because Jesus would say, I am the resurrection, and the life. Okay, so the the book of, of Tobit is a powerful telling of uh, a theological foreshadowing of the incarnation of Jesus, sent by the Father, accompanied by the Holy Spirit, 
to rescue humanity from the devil uh, and take us back to him with his in his father's house. Would you call this book uh, a powerful prophecy? Uh, would you call this a great story? Would you just say, well, I was taught that anything in the Apocrypha is trash. You know, I'll tell you who really started this idea of removing the Apocrypha from the King James, which everybody else, all the other versions, would slowly follow it in its day and time. There was not as many floating around in the early 1900s as we have today. But it's John Calvin, uh, the man who would uh, is credited to uh, starting the Baptist Church. He he just thought there was lots of problems with it. Uh, he did not want anything to do with the Catholics and the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. And he felt like that they were all false teachers. And one of the ways to separate uh, his movement from them was to remove the Apocrypha. That easily can be researched on the Internet. Uh, a simple uh, search engine would tell you that if you want to really search that out. And so, anyway, that, that's a whole other issue, a whole other topic. And this uh, hopefully answers a question that, uh, that had come to me, and I, I uh, told them I would answer it through the podcast, because they are listeners. So we haven't done a question and answer session in some time. Uh, there's been a lots of events here, uh, but it really uh, slowed that down. And so we're going to answer another question here in just a moment. Do you enjoy our weekly podcast? Though many of our listeners around the world and poverty-stricken nations are not financially able to support our podcast, if you are able, we would be grateful for your help. We offer several ways to help support the podcast on our website, biblicalquestion.com. Would you be in a prayerful consideration in your cheerful donation or purchasing through one of our affiliates? Thank you for cheerfully helping us tell a worldwide audience about the Word of God. Okay, we're back. Uh, another question has come in on the email that uh, the person said I could just answer it through the podcast here. And it's been about six weeks ago, so I, I certainly apologize. But he says, I have a question about uh, the Bible. Why is Samson such a highly praised figure in the Bible? Well, I'll be honest about it. I've often wondered that early on in my uh, walk with uh, Christ, early on in my beginnings, I guess. Uh, how could a man like this uh, be in this image of, of virtue, and he didn't deal with his uh, sexual passions very well, and so why is he even there? What is your impression of Samson? Have you ever really thought about it? Um, we might look at him as a, a college frat boy today, uh, a playboy. We might call, uh, some women might call him a pig. And so... From this uh, person, I think it's important to try to understand that we don't justify anybody. Only God uh, does that. 
And so what about Samson? I mean, he is an interesting character, and he has had some very special characteristics uh, that we can see precisely about him in the biblical narrative about him. I know people who live like Samson, work around a few in the past. Even the names Samson and Delia uh, are in songs and parables around the world throughout time. Uh, Samson seems to be uh, a hot-tempered, spoiled brat with a, maybe even really a short fuse. I, I don't picture this guy being uh, Mr. Universe-looking. I, I think he's more of a pencil, uh, a string bean-type person. Um, but this guy, he he likes the Philistine women better than the Jewish uh, women, and this is really going to be his big downfall. But I think there's a lot more here than than we realize. First of all, uh, the birth of Samson. It's, it's foretold by an angel. His mother is barren, and she cannot have children. The angel tells Samson's parents that this child would be special. He'd be consecrated to God from his birth, that he must watch what he eats. He's not permitted to even let wine touch his lips. Uh, and there's some reason for that. Wine was a principal component of Canaanite worship and ceremonies. And so, and that's probably the biggest reason why it was prohibited. Uh, he's going to be a Nazarite. A, a special way uh, that Nazarites did, they did not drink wine. He's going to be special chosen, and he's going to have to live a particular way. The name of Samson even is fun to say. It has his meaning in the Hebrew, uh, like the sun. His long hair uh, would then represent the rays and the glory coming from the sun. Uh, the glory uh, must never be shown. And one might say that Samson will be as strong as long as he radiates this glory. There are three things which Samson actually did which has special meaning and a great deal about the meaning of the of Samson in the in the Bible. He kills a lion with his bare hands. First of all, we know that with his bare hands, uh, with this lion, I I can't imagine this. I mean, I have some friends that have cats. It a cat just really doesn't want to be held, and I'm talking about one that sits on your lap, not a big cat. Uh, can you imagine what terror it would be to stand before such a beast with nothing but your bare hands? Yet Samson escapes seemingly without a scratch, or at least there's nothing noted in the Bible uh, about him even having a scratch or even having uh, getting a single stitch or whatever. It must have been really quick heavily mismatched fight 
Uh, more than that, we can see after Samson kills this lion, he passes by it again some time later. And now there's a beehive in the carcass of this lion. Uh, Samson tears the, the gates, uh, city gates, where he's at, uh, staying the night from their hinges. And he carries them off to the top of a hill. And when the Philistines believe that at one point in this narrative that they have Samson within their city, they close and lock these enormous gates barring his exit. He's not going to be able to leave. But in the morning, when they search him out uh, to capture him, so in the middle of the night, Samson finds these gates closed. They're they're barred and locked, and what does he do? He tears the gates from their hinges and maybe just kind of add some, uh, put some salt on the wound. He carries them back to the top of this uh, hillside so everybody can see them. There would be no doubt who did it, and Samson cannot be held prisoner in this place. I think that's the message uh, that he's trying to send. And neither, uh, no one else, once he leaves. Nobody else is going to be held prisoner. Sacrificial death, and really his final scene, so to speak. Now we find Samson uh, with his hair. It's been cut off by Delilah. It's start to grow back. And as it grows back, so does the strength in his glory. Weak and blinded and put on display for, you know, basically the, the ridicule of God's enemies in their own temple. The once again mighty Samson is reduced down to, you know, working like a beast, like an animal. And unlike many other illustrations, we sometimes see the pillar and and uh the Philistine temples, they're not big, large uh, stone-type uh, pillars. I, if you kind of research that out a little bit, they're really very large cedar uh, pillars, hard, uh, but not indestructible is what I'm trying to go here, I guess. He prays to God one last time. Uh, it's recorded anyway, his last prayer. Puts his hands on the two pillars, which uh, apparently are holding up the entire uh, temple area. And one, one last mighty effort sacrifices himself to destroy his enemies. So, let's, let's do a quick review here, and then we'll wrap up this podcast. Here's a man whose miraculous birth was foretold by an angel. His name means like the sun. He was a Nazarite consecrated to God for the, from the service in the beginning, from the moment he was born, his conception. Uh, he destroyed with his bare hands a fearsome lion with the ease uh, of his victory comes the sweet. He would tear off the, the lock gates from a dark city, which... They thought they had him trapped there with his victory, and nobody could ever be trapped there again. At the end of his historical life, he seamlessly, helplessly 
and surrounded by his enemies who are sure of victory. He puts his hands on the two pieces of wood and with one mighty effort destroys all of his enemies and saves his peoples in this amazing sacrificial death. So, does any of this sound familiar? You see, Samson is a type or foreshadowing of a Christ. You know, we have several of those throughout the Old Testament. I know uh, a man one time in church asked me years ago, uh, lives down in Arizona now, he asked me if I could name all the Messiah types, and I rattled them off, and he was impressed that anybody even knew this. But uh, apparently this is not a real taught thing, but Samson would be this Messiah type. Uh, for example, in Luke chapter 1, Christ, his birth is foretold by an angel. Uh, Christ was referred to by the apostles as a Nazarite. You can see that in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 23. And by many prophets, the son of righteousness in Malachi chapter 4 and Psalm 19. Christ, who easily defeats the devil, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, The devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour whoever he can, and we get to taste the sweetness of that victory. Christ, who tore open the gates of death and hell and opened forever the way of eternal life for all of us, who were trapped in this human body, trapped in sin. Christ, who, who beat in humiliation alone, was willing to put his hands on a cross and by his sacrificial death destroyed death with his own flesh. The person and deeds of Samson are foreshadowing of a person and the deeds of Jesus Christ. And in the story of, of Samson, we see only a dim and fuzzy shadow until the reality appears. The shape and the shadow becomes evident when we see what is making it. This isn't really fancy proof texting or twisting the text to fit a predetermined idea. This is what really is there for anyone to see. It was there by the actual writer, Christ himself. And really, stop and think about it, listeners. Uh, because of the story of Samson, we can fully recognize what a hero our Lord really was and is. He defeated the devil as a man, destroyed the gates of hell, and death, and brought through his own, by his own sacrificial death. He was really a man as surpassed strength. I, you know, I, I really enjoy the Bible. Uh, if you listen to the podcast at all, I love the Old Testament. There, it's just so deep. It's so rich with history as we kind of talked about in the earlier question, it, more and more people say, well, those things never really happen. 
Well, archaeology continues to prove the Bible right. Uh, I, I think if you just really, really study uh, and you look at the evidence, I think you would be just as thoroughly convinced as I am that the Word of God, the canon that we have, is, is accurate. It's historically correct. The people who uh, lived in uh, the days that we call the Old Testament actually lived. I know for years they argued that David was never mentioned outside of the Bible. Well, that's been proven false <laughs> more than once now. The same is true with people in the New Testament. Uh, you know, a lot of people are believing and starting to believe that Jesus is just a myth. Well, that's not true because Roman historians record Jesus' death. And so uh, they, they poke fun at uh, people who call themselves Christians would be so uh, idolizing a dead man. Why would you do that? He's not a god type thing. It's so there's lots of evidence and proof that these people truly lived the lives that they lived. And it's my hope and prayer that everybody listening would really be thoroughly convinced that the Bible is completely 100% accurate. And so please tell others about us. I, I, that's how we really have grown. I more I reflect in prayer and thanks, giving to God about so many listeners. It's the simple fact that you tell others about us. And, you know, we, we're starting to, to have more and more people interested in trying to help this ministry and, and encourage this ministry. And that is a true blessing. And it only comes through prayers uh, of you and God hearing those prayers and answering them. So if you do have a question, I, I, again, I would encourage you to uh, go to our webpage and submit that uh, through the contact us page. Please mark it as such as a, as a question. Uh, we have so much spam. It, it just takes hours sometimes for me to go through all of it to, to make sure that I haven't missed an, an email from, from you. And so uh, please be able to do that. Again, thank you for listening, and may God bless you. May He have the glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app. Please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page, a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast or prayer request? We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you and may he have the glory.